Section 90 of Uncollected Short Stories of L. M. Montgomery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Uncollected Short Stories of L. M. Montgomery by Lucy Maud Montgomery. Section 90. The Chiver's Light. Jack said William Haslett one morning, as they sat down to breakfast in the lighthouse. Your mother and I have had bad news. Word has just come that your Aunt Grace is very ill, and we must go at once. Most likely we will not be back until tomorrow, if then, and we must leave you in charge. You must not leave the shivers today, and be very careful about the light. But, Father, the cycle races are over at Southport, exclaimed Jack. I want to see them. There will be plenty of time to get back after they are over. Haslett shook his head gravely. I'm very sorry, my boy, but I can't let you go. The wind sometimes blows up so quickly in the afternoon that you might not be able to get back, and that would be a terrible thing. Vessels might be wrecked and lives lost, and at best I should lose my job. But, father, pleaded Jack, I'd be careful, and if I saw the least son of a gale, I'd start home at once. No, Jack, you mustn't go. I can't take the risk. I know what you are like too well. If you went over to Southport and got watching the races, a hurricane might come up without your noticing it. I don't like to disappoint you, as you well know, but it can't be helped. So don't let us hear anything more about it. When his father spoke in that tone, Jack knew it was no use to plead. But he felt that he was a very ill-used boy, and ate his breakfast in sulky silence. After breakfast, Mr. and Mrs. Haslett started. They had to sail across the mainland and take the train at St. Eleanor's. Shivers Island, on which the lighthouse was built, was a tiny bit of rock at the mouth of the harbor. The Haslets were the only people living on it, so it could not be called very lively but it was within an hour's sail of Southport and St. Eleanor's and other villages, and Jack liked the life very well. Haslett did not feel any anxiety at leaving Jack in sole charge. He had often done so before. Jack was a tall, strong lad of fourteen and understood the lighting up thoroughly. He did not mind being left alone, and he was proud of the responsibility. But today he was in a very different mood. He had set his heart on going to the cycle races over at Southport, and he thought his father very unreasonable. "'It's gonna be a splendid day,' he muttered, kicking a pebble angrily into the water as he watched his father's boat skimming over the bay. "'Just a fine breeze for sailing. The races would be over by four, and I'd be back by five, three hours before dark. It's too bad.' The longer Jack thought about it, the worse he was convinced it was. His chum, Oscar Norton, would be expecting him at Southport, and they had planned to have such a splendid time. The races would be the last of the season, and it was unjust and unkind of his father to forbid him to go. The morning wore away slowly. Jack hadn't enough to do to keep him out of mischief. He got his dinner and then went down to the little point where his own boat, the Pearl, with her glistening white sides and new sail, was anchored. It was a glorious day. A splendid breeze was blowing up the bay from just the right quarter. 
The sky was blue and clear. There was no sign of a storm. Jack came to a sudden conclusion. He would go to the races. His father need never know, and he would be back long before dark. In a few minutes, the Pearl's white sails were filling merrily away before the breeze, and Shivers Island, with its huge white tower, was growing dim and misty behind her. Jack reached Southport in an hour. Oscar Norton and several other boys whom Jack knew were at the wharf and greeted him hilariously. In a few minutes, they were hurrying through the streets to the park, and Jack had forgotten all about Shivers Island and the lighthouse. They were soon absorbed in the races. The bay could not be seen from the park, and so excited were they all that they did not notice how strongly the wind was blowing up. Jack, as his father had foretold, forgot everything he ought to have remembered, and thought of nothing but the track and the whirling figures on it. At four o'clock the races were over, and Oscar proposed a trip to a restaurant by way of a wind-up to the day. Jack had awakened to the fact that a stiff wind was blowing and that it might be wiser for him to hurry home, but the track was sheltered and he did not realize how much the gale had increased, and the other boys assured him that there was plenty of time, and in the end he went with them. So it was fully five o'clock before he and Oscar found themselves again at the wharf. "'Great Scott, Jack! You can't get home tonight!' exclaimed Oscar as they came inside of the bay. "'Why, I had no idea it was such a gale. It's a regular young hurricane. Whew, look at those waves!' Jack looked about him in dismay. Far and wide, the bay was an expanse of rough waves, and far out, Shivers Island Lighthouse loomed dimly through the haze of spray. Too late, he wished that he had obeyed his father. "'I must get home!' he exclaimed desperately. "'Why, Oscar, father and mother are away, and there's nobody to light up!' Oscar looked grave. "'I don't see how you can get that, Jack. You can't do it in your own boat, that is sure. She would swamp in a jiffy. What is to be done?' I'll have to get some of the men there to take me over in a big boat, said Jack. There is no time to lose either. Well, this scrape serves me right. If I get out of it, I'll mind what Father says next time. You can be sure of that. But getting out of it was no easy matter. Not a man could Jack find who was willing to risk an attempt to reach Shivers in that storm. One and all shook their heads and though they looked brave enough when Jack explained the state of affairs, they persisted in assuring him that the thing was impossible. "'There ain't a boat in Southport that could take you to Shevers tonight,' said old Sam Buxton, who knew the bay if anyone did. "'Nor a man rash enough to try it. You'll just have to make up your mind to stay here.' "'But the light,' gasped Jack. "'There is no one there to light it up. Father will lose his place, and maybe there will be vessels wrecked.' You should have thought of that before you came away, said old Sam grimly. It's a bad piece of business, but you can't better it by drowning yourself. You can't get home tonight, no matter what happens, and that is the long and short of it. Poor Jack was in a terrible state of mind. Oscar wanted him to go home with him, but Jack refused to leave the wharf. Although he knew quite well there was no likelihood of the storm abating that night, he was very miserable. If he had only obeyed his father... What if a vessel would be coming in, amid all that tempest and darkness, with no beacon to guide her? If lives were lost, he, Jack Hislet, would be a murderer. The boys were cold and drenched with spray, but Jack was determined to stay at the shore, and Oscar stayed too. 
for he felt himself a little responsible for the state of affairs since he had helped to delay Jack. The night came down early. They knew when the sun had set by the faint glow of light among the wind-rent clouds far out to sea. Suddenly, Oscar gave a start of surprise and exclaimed, Jack, Jack, look, there's Chiva's light. It's all right, old fella. Jack, who had been sitting with his face buried in his hands, sprang up. Then he gave a gasp of joy and almost reeled against his friends, so great was his relief. For there, clear and bright across the harbor, through the stormy night, shone the beacon of Shivers Island Lighthouse. Thank God, Jack muttered huskily. Father must have got home after all. The appearance of the light was a great relief to many others along the shore, for the men had been very anxious. Jack consented to go home with Oscar. But he did not sleep much that night, and when he did, it was to live over in dreams the horror of the last few hours. He was sure that never, as long as he lived, could he forget it. It was the afternoon of the next day before the wind calmed enough to permit Jack to go home. Even then, he had an exciting passage. As he drew near to Chivers, a boy came running down from the lighthouse, and, when Jack sprang ashore, he saw that it was his cousin Alec, who lived on St. Eleanor's. "'Where's father? Isn't he here?' he asked, as they shook hands. "'Now, where on earth have you been? Uncle John and Aunt May called at our place yesterday morning and said they were going to be away all night and you'd be here all alone, and wouldn't I come over? So I sailed merrily over yesterday afternoon.' And this is the first I see of you. I went over to the races at Southport, said Jack, shamefacedly. I oughtn't to have gone. Father told me not to, but I was sure I'd get back in time. Then the storm came up and I couldn't. I nearly went crazy. You don't know how thankful I felt when I saw the light flash out. Did you light it? Yes, I hung around waiting for you until it got too late to go home and... Anyway... I knew somebody ought to be here. When it got dark, I managed to light it up. I had seen Uncle John do it lots of times. Then I stayed up all night for fear something would go wrong. A nice, cheerful time I had, you may be sure, with the waves crashing out there and not a creature to speak to but the cat. Besides, I was afraid that you had tried to come home and got drowned. I've got better off than I deserved, said Jack humbly. I'll never do the like again, and I'm grateful to you beyond words, Alec. Jack's father came home the next day. Jack did not try to hide the story from him, but confessed all, frankly. Haslett did not scold him very much, for he knew the lance punishment had already been severe enough. All he said was, You see, my son, what your disobedience might have cost you and us. Let this be a lesson for you. It will indeed, father, I'm sure, said Jack earnestly. And it was. End of section 90. End of uncollected short stories of L. M. Montgomery by Lucy Maud Montgomery.